Now, if you came in this morning thinking to yourself, what on earth am I here for? (laughs) We have an answer to your question. may not be the specific question you were asking, but I still have an answer to your question. Last week, we're talking about what on earth am I here for? A question that everyone asks. As soon as you get to a certain age and your mind starts to really be thinking about the world and, you know, you ask that question, why am I here? What on earth am I here for? Last week we we said, we talked about the, the first purpose and the first calling of our lives. And we said it was to be loved by God. Not, not even for us to love God, not to serve God, not to obey God. Those are all important. Those are all significant. But the first purpose of your life, the first calling of your life is to be loved by God, to allow God to love you. It was powerful just, to, just thinking about that. But that is the first purpose of our existence, to be loved by God. This week, we're going to look at the second calling, the second purpose of our lives. And that is, God formed me for his family. God has formed me. God has created me, if you will, for his family. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, in the New Living Translation, it says this, His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. God's, God's family is called the church. Now you have the, the local church, you also have the universal church. We're a part of the local church called Grace Chapel. We're all in this, this church together. There's a universal church that has churches all around our community, all around our nation, all around our world that we're a part of. We're a part of the universal church, the larger body, if you will, of Christ. And but this morning, we're actually going to talk about both. We're going to talk about the universal church. We're going to talk about the local church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, it says this, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So God formed me for his family. The family, okay, called the church, and God wants me to belong to that family. God formed me for his family. His family is called the church, and God expects me and God expects all of us to belong to that family. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 6, it tells us, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. We were called to belong. We were called to belong, to belong to the family of God. The word for church in the Bible is the word ecclesia. The word ecclesia. It comes from the word kaleo, which means to be called. We talked about it a few weeks ago. So kaleo, that's where the word ecclesia comes from. Ecclesia means to, that you are called out. So the church literally means, in the Bible, the church literally means... Those people, a group of people who were called by God, a group of people who were called by God. Church, this is important because some people were even this morning saying to their parents or whoever else, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to church. Church is not something you go to. It's not something you go to. Church is something you belong to. 
You belong in God's family. It's something you belong to. Church is not an event. As good as the music is, the worship time is, church is not an event. It's not even a location. Church is a relationship. If we had a tornado come through and come right down the road here in 42 and wipe out every building on this property on Monday, guess what we'd be doing on Sunday? We'd throw a tent up in the parking lot or something. We'd be meeting together because we're the church. The church is a relationship. It's not an event. It's not a location. It's not something you go to. It's something you belong to. You belong to God's family. God wants you to belong to the family. What I want to do this week is share with you five benefits of belonging. Because God designed the church. He designed his, this, this, this church, this family, if you will, to meet your five deepest needs. God designed, I'm going to share with you five metaphors Five metaphors that will, that will have a profound impact on your life. And talk about this body and how this body, how this church, we call it, can impact people's lives. The Bible it, 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 we references five different, if you will, metaphors to describe the church. The church is a family. The church is a temple. The church is a body. The church is a, is a, is a flock and the church is a garden. Those five metaphors describe the church. Each one of these have profound implications in your life. If we can, if we can understand, if we can truly try to understand those five metaphors, it will have the most tremendous impact on your life because God designed the church to meet our deepest needs. Each one of you has five, there's five of the deep, there's five deep needs in humanity. And the church, those, these metaphors answer those five needs. So you, you go around your life sometimes and you're so frustrated, you feel overwhelmed, you, you feel like you can't do this or you're frustrated about that or why do people... This morning, if you can truly understand the meaning of these five metaphors, these five illustrations... It will have a profound impact on your life because you were designed by God to have five deep needs met and the church can help meet those needs. The first metaphor, the one that we're all familiar with is family. I mentioned it already. Family. One of the benefits of a healthy family is that a healthy family will begin to teach you who you are. You, you'll, you'll, be, you'll begin to, to form your identity. So the first benefit is that, number one, in God's family, I learn my true identity. In God's family, I learn my true identity. This is so significant. You're not going to learn this whole idea of identity. You're not going to learn it in the world, okay? You're not going to learn it in school. You're not going to learn it on your job. You're not going to learn it from your peers. You're not going to learn it anywhere else. The The only place you can truly understand who you are, your true identity, is found in a relationship with God's family. We all, all of us are concerned about our identity. We're all concerned about it. You say, well, I don't really care that much about my identity. Yeah, yeah you really do. And, and it shows up in even the clothes that we wear. 
How many people wear clothes that have specific logos or brands on them on purpose? Not because you, you just happen to like that one, but it's a certain brand and a certain logo is on that, that pair of jeans or that, that pair of pants or that, that shirt or that dress or whatever else. It's a certain brand or a certain logo. How many of us buy cars we can't afford, really? Um, and how many of us buy houses we really can't afford because they're in a certain place or the car gives a certain status symbol? And so we go out and buy those things and extend ourselves beyond what really should, beyond what is wise, financially wise, because it, it, it kind of creates this identity within us. We think that stuff is going to help us understand who we are. We think this stuff is going to somehow give us an, an identity. But the truth is, most of your identity comes from relationships, good or bad. It comes from relationships. For example, I'm a lot of different things. I am a son. I am a father. I'm a husband. I'm a grandfather. I'm a member of a, of a small group. I'm a member of a, a church staff. Uh, I'm a pastor. And all of these things in different ways tell people who I am. They kind of describe who I am. What that means is if, 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 my, if my connections, if my relationships are broken or they're poor, then mm, I'm going to have a hard time people will, in general, have a hard time knowing who they are. Let me give you another example. If, if a person's been married, and many of you will understand this, you've experienced this yourself personally, or you know people around you who have been married for years and years and years, and then one of, their, one of the spouses dies. And if you've been through that, then you know that it's normal, it is, it is common for people to ask questions like, who am I after that? They've been so connected to that relationship and their identity was wrapped up in that relationship and they ask natural questions like, who am I? What's my role now? What is, what is, my, what is my place? So our identity is actually tied to relationship. Now the problem with all of, all of that is, and that's another, that, that are terrible, sinful, terrible things I just described and you know, asking questions about who am I? But the, the problem we face in life is, if, if, we, if we didn't have strong relationships growing up, if you didn't have a, a good, solid relationship growing up, then you're going you're gonna to be a little confused here. You're, you're not going to like this. You, you grew up and your relationships weren't too strong. Some of you would say, my goodness, my family was completely dysfunctional. My family was non-existent. So you're telling me that you know, my identity is really tied to, to relationship, if you will, but my family was dysfunctional, they were non-existent, they were abusive, whatever you want, whatever you want to say. And, and so you're asking yourself, so how, does this, how do I know who I am? Well, here's the good news. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. I love these words. I mean, members of God's very own household. God adopted you into his family. When he adopts you into his family, you're there forever, and you're a part of his home. When you adopt someone, they come to live in your home. They are part of your family. They are part of you. So we've been adopted into God's household, into his family. As a believer, as a believer, it doesn't matter what family I grew up in. 
a one-parent family, a two-parent family. It doesn't matter what, if my family was dysfunctional, if my family was abused. Those things don't matter. The most important thing is that you're a part of God's family. Now, don't get me wrong. This is no cult, and we're not going to say, your family's not important. You're really going to stick with the church. The most important family that you can be a part of is God's family. It's God's family. So regardless of how you grew up and regardless of your past, you are a part of God's family. You've been adopted into God's family. Your most important family is God's family. Why is that, Why is that the truth? Because that is the, that is the permanent one. That is the one that will last forever. Forever. When you get your identity from belonging to God's family, that is going to last for all of eternity. The, 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 the problem is we're, we're looking at our identity in things that are not going to last. We, m- most of us in this world look at our identity in areas or from things that are not going to last. The world is just incredible at tagging you or, or, or giving your identity to things that are external. They, they see you, you do a certain thing, or you act, and then boom, they, they tag you with your identity. But that identity is based upon the external, not the internal. Here's the problem with that. The external is going to change. It's not going to last. They've built their identity on a foundation that is not going to last. In God's family, it will last forever. So if I want, if I want my identity to last I need to put it into something that's going to last forever. That's never going to change. And the Bible says that is God's family, the church. That will go on for all of eternity. You know, one of the great things about being a follower of Jesus Christ and being a little older in your relationship with Christ, you know who you are. It's a good feeling to know who you are. I know who I am. I know who I am. Not confused at all about who I am. I get confused about other things, and I get confused about how, what God wants me to do here or there in certain situations, but I know who I am. In the world, what happens is they base their identity on the external things, and, and depending on the environment, their identity changes. They don't know who they are. So they walk into this environment, and if they're, if they're in school, they walk into this environment, and they are like chameleons, and they function within the environment they've been placed, and so their identity changes. And then they have to turn around, they go over here, they go to work, and then they have to, I guess, put on the right, the right clothes. And, go, and now they're at work and their identity changes again. The great thing about knowing who you are is regardless of what environment you're put in, you're the same person. You know who you are. If you put me in an environment, whatever, if I walked into an environment where everyone was doing something that wasn't very good, I wouldn't be scratching my head going, gee, maybe I should do what they're doing. Maybe I should follow after them. I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm kind of confused. I'm not confused at all. I know exactly who I am. I know exactly who I've been called to be. I know who I am to follow. I know whose family I am in. And I behave in such a way in this environment, regardless of how everybody else is behaving, I behave the same way. I live the same life. I speak the same way. I act the same way, whether I'm here or I'm at Taekwondo or I'm at the mall or I'm at school or I'm at wherever it is, the same way. Environment doesn't change who I am. If you don't know who you are, though, it's like, bing, bing, you know, I got to dress this way, do that, I got to put this on, put those things on, act this way, talk this way. Whatever. When you know who you are in Christ, when you know who you are, 
Environment will always change. External things will always change. But if you are in God's family and you know who you are, it doesn't matter how everything else changes around you. You stay solid. One of the other great things about being in the family of God is your sin doesn't define you anymore. I love that. Your sin does not define you anymore. It is not. We all sin, but it is not the defining characteristic of your life. So many people have come from a background where, boy, you've done some things and you would, you know, it would, it would make other people go, wow, I can't believe that, whatever else the case may be. But the reality is that is not your defining characteristic when you're in the family of God. You sinned, you ask forgiveness, you move on because you're in Christ. It is not your defining characteristic. If you did, I don't, it doesn't matter what you've done. When you come into the body of Christ, when you become a part of the body of Christ, all that is swept away. You are a new creature in Christ. I am not defined by what I've done in the past. I know who I am in Christ. That is such a wonderful thing for so many people. By belonging to God's family, you will learn your true identity. By belonging, not going to church, not going to an event, not going to a location, but by belonging to the family of God, you will learn your true identity. The identity that has been kept hidden from you for most of your life. The world does not want you to know your true identity. They do not want you to understand why God created you, what God created you to be. This culture is lost when it comes to identity. Completely and utterly lost. Just do a little mental check right now about what we're struggling with as a culture, as a country. America has lost its identity. Why have we lost our identity? We have lost our identity because individuals, the the large majority of individuals in the country have lost their identity. When you separate from God, you walk aimlessly, walking around scratching your head going, I've got to find meaning and purpose in my life. What is the meaning and purpose of life outside of God? Nothing. So I have to walk around wondering who I am. They're walking aimlessly because they've separated themselves from God. They have no idea what they, what, who they are. They have an identity crisis. And they have an identity crisis in every, even the most basic areas of identity in a person's life. They're in a crisis. They don't know who they are. They, don't have, they have no clue. I'm this person one day, I feel this, so I'm this person another day. And then I'm this person, I'm that person. They're confused about even the most basic forms of identity. Why? They're cut, they have separated themselves from the only one who can tell them what their identity is. So they're completely and utterly lost. They don't know. They can't even figure out the most basic foundation of identity. You know, a lot of families will have, uh, uh, to, for identity, they'll have a symbol or a family crest when it comes to understanding what their identity is. So you, maybe your family has a family crest or you have a symbol in, in, in your life that kind of describes a little bit about your family. In my family, we, we started out in, in Scotland as the McGregors. And then the McGregors got into a religious dispute and blah, blah, with the king, and they got chased out of uh, Scotland, and then they went to Germany and got into another religious dispute and got, went into the Black Forest and got chased. I, I come from a good heritage. We were theologically right, too, and I'm going to go back and figure out what they were fighting about and stand up for it. But, uh, but they went from McGregor to McGreer, and they went to the United States. They dropped the, the Mick part and just became Greer. That's how we became the Greers. 
Our, our symbol way back in, in Scotland was a, a sword through a tree with the king's crown hanging on the end of it. That's the family crest. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just love it. Defiance, tyranny. Um, so, so that's the family crest. And so people will think, well, I have a family crest. I have my identity. And, and, and you know what, the, uh, you know what the, the symbol is for being in the family of God, the, 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 if you will, the family crest? And you think, well, it's a cross. Right away, everybody thinks it's a cross. But you know what the symbol is, really? Baptism. Baptism. Baptism identifies me as a follower of Jesus Christ. It is a symbol that identifies me as says, I am not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I identify with the death under the water and out of the water resurrection of Jesus Christ. It identifies, who we, it identifies us. It is a symbol of who we are. Baptism, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, the cross is a symbol, and it's the most significant symbol, if you will, in the sense of the cross. But baptism is really the family crest, if you will. And it's important that every single one of us are baptized when we know Jesus Christ. It's important that we're baptized. If you haven't been baptized, we have another baptismal service in March the 24th, I think Palm Sunday. So if you haven't been baptized, that would be a great day to do it uh, on March the 24th. Just kind of mark your calendar down. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. There's a second metaphor that God uses to describe the church. He says the church is like a temple. The church is like a temple. It's like a temple. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves, very important, you yourselves are the God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. He's talking to the church here. He's not talking to an individual or a couple individuals. He's talking to the church as a whole. You yourselves are God's temple talking to the body of Christ. Why did, why did God choose a temple as one of the illustrations of what it's like to be in the family of God in the church? That leads to our second benefit, the second benefit uh, uh, that you get from being a part of God's family, and it's this, number two. In God's temple, I'm supported by others. In God's temple, I'm supported by others. I'm not out there by myself. I, I love this. In, in, in a building, all the connecting all the connecting parts support each other. Look at, you look at this building, you look at your house, any building, all the conne- part of a building, all the connecting parts support each other. They need each other. They support each other. They're there for each other. And we are the temple. We are God's temple. There are going to be times in your life where you're going to need the help of other people to get through, to, to support you. There are going to be times in your life, maybe you're at a time right now where you need people to come around to support you. We all need that. We cannot do it alone. We need each other. We need to come together. That is why it's so important. I talk about it so much. Why it's so important. I want to encourage you to be part of a life group so that you can find that support, so that you can find that encouragement you need. You know, you think, oh, it's more time off my schedule. I, I don't have time for that. You, you do. You need to make time for that. You need to be connected to the body. And I know coming together like this is great. But, you know, in a healthy church, a church needs to grow larger and smaller at the same time. 
larger in the sense that you're, you're inviting people to come to church and they're coming to know Christ, but small in the sense that you're a part of an impact group in high school or you're a part of a life group as an adult, that you're connected to the body, that you're part of the temple, that you're holding each other up. Because I know what people will say to me, oh gosh, you know, I know some people that, that, um, that left Grace Chapel uh, and people say that to me at different times because they didn't feel, they didn't, this is the big one, they didn't feel connected. I promise you, there is no magic wand hidden in my office where I can just whip it out and go bring over everyone and make them feel connected. It's not there. It, I, don't, I don't have that at my disposal. What I have is all of you. And together we form the temple. We support each other. We hold each other up. And that's what we need to do. And I want to encourage you, if you're not a part of a life group, even if you've called me before, and I apologize if we, we somehow misconnected or I didn't call back or I, you know, I sometimes do that. I, I try to write everything down, but I promise you I am far from perfect. So please, please call me back or email me and let me know that I want to be connected to a life group and I will do everything in my power to make sure that happens because for us to be a healthy church, we need to be connected. The Bible says in Ephesians in Ephesians. 4, 221, I'll read it to you again. In him, the whole building, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So together we form God's family and we form God's temple. Together, together. And there's only so many things we can do together on a Sunday morning. We need to connect even more. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that I have support? Why is it so important that I have stability in my life? Because of another real problem I see in our culture right now, even in the church, loneliness. People are, feel alone. They feel lonely. They feel disconnected. We as the body of Christ need to connect people. We need to connect one another. We need to come together as the temple and support each other because of the pain. There's so many people out there. You know, you walk around in life, you think, oh, the person at UDF, they seem to be smiling and the gas station guy seems to be smiling and, the, and this person, the person at work, everybody seems to be smiling. But you know what? Every single person comes into this, this, this building called Grace Chapel. And so many of you, I, I, I'm just getting to know you but the thing that frustrates me and is hard for me is that I know so many people come into this building at different times and each one of them has a different story. And a lot of those stories are really challenging stories. And it's hard for me to look out at people and to, and to hug people as we're going out and shake hands and to realize, I wonder what's truly going on in that person's life. I don't know them well enough. I haven't spent a lot of time with them. I, 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 want, them to, I want to make sure that they, they're getting connected, that they have the support they need. The only way that's going to happen is if we come together as the temple of God and hold each other up and support each other. It needs, it truly needs to happen. It needs to happen. The third description of the church in Scripture is a body. We've all, you, you've all heard of that. You know, the Bible calls the church the body of Christ. I've used that even this morning. It's impossible to talk about the church without using the word body if you talk about it for more than five minutes. The church is a body, the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 27, it says, Now you, talking about Christians, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you is a part of it. 
first question you have to ask yourself is, am I, have I asked Christ to come into my heart? Am I a follower of Jesus Christ? I don't care if you're in high school, you're in junior high, you're younger, you're older, it doesn't matter. That's the first question. If you answered yes to that question, then I am saying to you, Paul is saying to you, now you, I'm talking to you, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. We're all different parts, but we, we, we are all connected to complete the body. We're all different. We bring something different to the table, but we, we come together. We are all connected so that we can complete the body. Every single person here who says that they are a Christian. We accomplish things together as the body that we cannot accomplish alone. The older I get, the more I realize I cannot accomplish anything significant that God has called me to do without you when it comes to what we do as Grace Chapel. The ministries here at Grace Chapel, the partnerships, the ministries, I am incapable of fulfilling what God has called me to do without your help. Period. I'm not just saying that because I'm preaching a sermon. It's just a reality that I've come to understand. My brain, thank God in some cases, does not work like yours. Okay? You can laugh because that was a joke, I promise. Okay, you all look at me sometimes and say, how on earth can you think of so many different things at once? Blah, 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 blah. Your mind is boggled by my brain. My mind is boggled by your brains. But here's what I've learned. I need them. I cannot think through certain things the way you can. I, I don't understand how your mind works and how you bring about this and you think about that and you bring this to the table and you ask these. I don't even ask the... You, you ask questions I haven't, I haven't even thought of. My mind doesn't work that way. You know why? Because we're all a part of the body of Christ. We all bring something different to the table. I am unable, cannot, it is impossible for me to accomplish what God has called me to do as a follower of Jesus Christ without you. Not going to happen. I recognize that, and I completely submit myself to that, and I know that without this body as a whole, we are not going to fulfill all that God has for us. You also learn your specific shape and talents within the body of Christ. You can't learn them anywhere else. You learn your specific shape for ministry and for life and talents within the body of Christ. See, you're not going to find that anywhere else except in the church. You say, well, no, I can go, I can, I can be my own. No, no, you can't. You are not going to understand who you truly are outside of the body of Christ. So the third benefit of belonging to the church family is this. In Christ's body, I discover my unique value. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, it says this. Just as each of us has one body with many parts, listen to this, each body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, that's us, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. This is very important. This is a very important passage. First, first, it says that the body of Christ, the church, is made up of many parts, that we're all different. We're all different, but we're all significant. 
I said, I said crossword puzzle in the first service. Someone corrected me, and I have it written down as jigsaw puzzle. But if you love jigsaw puzzles, those puzzles you put out, thousands of pieces to your jigsaw puzzle, right? The, and, and, and you're missing one piece of the puzzle. Which piece of the puzzle is most important to you? The piece you're missing, right? The piece you're missing. If my leg is attached to my body and it's laying over against that wall right there, of what value is my leg sitting over there against that wall? No value. There's no purpose sitting over in the corner, looking kind of skinny and ugly, okay? That, that, that's all it is. If it is detached from my body, it has no purpose. When it is attached to my body, it helps me walk, it helps me function. I can do, it is, it is doing what it was designed to do. But over in the corner, over sitting over there, detached from the body, it has no value. You cannot be what God made you to do without a church family and being connected to Christ's body. Cannot be done. Cannot be done. Argue in your mind all you want, but you cannot fulfill your purpose in life on your own. Can't be done. You say, what's my purpose in life? I love this series because I want to know what my purpose and my calling is in life. You will not know it. I'm thinking of some teenagers, I mean, in general, and I'm thinking of younger kids and junior hires and maybe college students, and you think, well, this whole thing is just, man, a big, golly, man, I have to come in every Sunday because it's kind of what I have to do and blah, blah, blah. Let me explain something to you. Very important. Your first purpose in life is to know that you're loved by God. Your second purpose in life, the calling of God on your life, is that you were formed for God's family. You will never figure out who you are. Never. Look at the world. Look how good they are doing it. You will never figure out who you are, what your purpose is in life, what your value is, your significance, what the meaning is, detached from the body of Christ. It can't be done. It cannot be done. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 18, it says, Now the body is not made up of one part, but many parts. If the foot should say, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged, arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. Every single person here in this room is significant. No one can say, oh, I'm more significant because I'm a, I'm a this or I'm a that. How many people would agree that my hand and my arm are really significant to my body? You can see it, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. It's really important to me. But it's a, you see it. You know, some things are more visible. But how, many, how good would my hand and arm be if my heart was gone? If my liver was gone, right? How long would I last right now if my internal organs all of them just kind of disappeared? That's the last thing you see is my wave, right? That would be the end of it. Where every part of the body is significant. The only question is for you this morning... Where, do you, where does your part fit in? How do you use... And some of you, have, you're ignoring this completely. You don't even, you don't, you're not even caring about it. You're thinking, well, you know, I'll, when I get older, or when I this, or when I feel that, or when I graduate, whatever the case may be, then I'll figure... No. We need to figure it out because right now, you're sitting here right now, you are a significant part of this body. God has you here for a specific reason. 
It doesn't matter if you're the eye or you're the ear or you're the mouth or you're the hand or you're the liver or you're the heart. It doesn't matter. You're all significant. Take a piece out. We don't function well. Take a piece away. We don't function well. In Ephesians 4.25, we're told in Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. And a disconnected part of the body, guess what happens to it? It dies, right? If it's disconnected. What happens to a branch that's disconnected from the tree? Let me give you the fourth metaphor. The fourth description of the church in the Bible is a flock, like a flock of sheep. In God's flock, we are, in flock, we are banded together. We are, ba- we are banded together. Psalm 100 verse 3 says this, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made, who made us, and, it is, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Some of you are thinking, man, sheep. I'm not sure about being a sheep. They're kind of smelly and stupid. Um, why does the Bible use sheep? Well, let, let me read you something that Jesus said about a shepherd, sheep, and a flock in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Listen to this. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. When the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man who runs away, the man runs away because he is not, he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. I read that about Jesus not running off when a wolf attacks, not running off when times get tough. Right. You go out in the world, you go out in the world and you say, well, I don't need any of that. I don't need God in my life. Jesus says, I'm the shepherd. Man, when bad things happen, I'm not running off. You belong to me. You're a part of my family. I don't run away from my own family. I will stand and defend my own family. You go out there. Who's defending you? No one. No one. The hired hand, the sheep, the bear, whatever comes, they run and climb a tree and leave you there to get eaten because you're not owned. You don't have a shepherd. You don't have that. Why did God choose a flock of sheep as an illustration of what the church is like? Because in a flock, I'm protected and I'm cared for. I am not on my own. I am not alone in all of this. I have other people looking out for me, but more than that, I have a shepherd looking out for me. That gives me courage. That gives me confidence. That allows me not to feel so anxious. That allows me not to feel so afraid because I know that my God is with me wherever I go. Whatever happens to me, God is with me. He will not leave me or forsake me. What can the world do to me? Take away my life. I spend eternity with him. There's no fear. I'm confident in myself and who I am and created in the image of God. I'm confident in that because I have a shepherd who will never leave me, who will stand by me. And regardless of what the world, the enemy, whatever does to me, I am secure in him because I know I can trust my shepherd to carry me through whatever I have to face. The local church also has pastors and the pastors are supposed to take care of the flock of God. That's their responsibility. 
One of the most exciting things for me happened last week. I was walking out after second service, and one of the little boys in, in one of the, the, the children's classes looked out the door and said to their Sunday school teacher, Hey, I know him. He's the best hugger in the world. Isn't that what you want to be known for? Really, that's what you want to be known for. You know what he's saying? You know what that little boy is saying, the little girl needs to say, this is what the church should be? I feel safe here. I feel loved here. This is my pastor. This is my shepherd. He protects me. He's going to protect me. In this crazy, messed up world, our children need to be a part of something where they feel safe in a place and safe with the people. That is so significant. You know, as a, as a, as a pastor, a pastor in the Greek means shepherd. The word poimen, it means pastor. It's shepherd. I'm a shepherd. And the shepherd is supposed to lay down his life for the sheep. A pastor is there to shepherd the flock of God. You know what my, you know what my, um, my, my, uh, my job description is? It's found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. It says this, Be shepherds of God's flock that are, that are under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That is my role. That is my responsibility, to be a shepherd, to love you and care for you. You are not commodities that come to church so you can do something for me, so you can build my kingdom. I am not a rancher. I am a shepherd. My job is to lay down my life for you. I will give you the shirt off my back. I will give you whatever I have. That's my responsibility, to love you, to support you, to challenge you, to encourage you, to confront you, whatever the case may be, to protect you. That's my job. That is my job. That is what God has called me to do. I need to set an example. I need to be an example. It's one of the reasons you're not going to hear me curse from the pulpit just to, just to get a rise and see, you know, so you, I, you feel like, ooh, you know, he, you know, like maybe someone comes in for first, second time. Ooh, he, he's just like me. He tells dirty jokes, cusses. He does this. He, he acts just like me. I feel really comfortable. Well, I want you to feel comfortable here. I want you to come as you are. I just don't want you to stay as you are. (laughs) It's not my job for the rest of your life just to make you feel comfortable. My job is to say, I love you. I'll give you the shirt off my back. I will die for you. Literally, I will die for you. But my job is to make sure that I shepherd you and protect you and help you grow to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. I want to set an example and say, follow my example as I try with all of my heart to follow the example of Jesus Christ. It wasn't my job as a youth pastor to make all the kids my buddy. And it's not my job as a pastor to make everyone feel comfortable with where they are in their lives. My job is to try to set an example for you that we would all together as the body of Christ grow together. None of us are perfect, and I'll raise my hand as the first one to admit it. But we need to live in such a way that we honor Jesus Christ in all we do, and I need to be the one who sets that example, that they say the fish heads rots from the head down. That's important to understand and and keep in in your mind as a leader that you live in such a way that you're leading people in the right direction. The final description that I want to look at this morning is a garden. And I know we're, a little, we're only a little bit over. Um, it's a garden. 
specifically a vineyard. This is important stuff, okay? This is important. Stick with me on this one. This is significant. As Christians, we need to be productive. God has created us to make a difference in this world. You need to be productive. It's like a garden. A garden grows things. God, God has planted fertile soil. We are a garden. We need to grow. We need to, be, we need to produce. Everyone wants to end their lives feeling like they were productive. That's what God gives us. You don't want to lay in your bed as an old man or woman thinking woulda, shoulda, coulda, having regret when you are a part of the family of God. You don't have regret. You don't have that kind of regret because you lived your life and you were productive. This is the fifth thing that we need to learn. In God's garden, my life becomes productive. Do you want to live a productive life? Then you need to be a part of the family of God. You need to be a part of the church. You become fruitful. God wants you to bear fruit in this world. He wants you to bear fruit. Listen to what it says in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Listen, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. I am the vine. You ever plant grapes or whatever? You got the vine? I'm the vine. You are the branches. Every spring, I have grapes. Every spring, the, the, the branches kind of start going off. You cut them back, and they, they start sprouting off. Cut those babies, though, and they fall to the ground, and they're gone. They're dead. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If, you are, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But listen to this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you don't remember anything else this morning, remember that. Only what's done for and in Christ will last. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There is no purpose in life outside of God. Period. You say, well, no, I don't. I can go out and go to work, and I can do this, and I can do that, and I can do the other thing. You know, I, I like to dig up worms in my backyard and feed them to my turtles. And the worm, the worm goes through the ground, and he, he eats up to whatever it is down there, and he poops it out, and he makes good fertile soil and everything. Outside of God, you don't have a purpose. If there's no God, the idea of even talking about meaning and purpose is totally irrelevant. It makes no sense. Outside of Christ, you can do nothing. The point is being a disconnected branch means you cannot bear fruit. You will not bear fruit. God has all kinds of fruit that he wants you to bear. Lives, listen to me. Remember when we said you're not the only one who needs you to believe this? Lives that he wants you to impact. You, you right now, you're thinking, well, blah, 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 blah. No, it's you. I'm talking to you. If you think I'm talking to you, say, you're talking right to me. I am. The Holy Spirit is talking to you. Lives that he wants you to impact. Causes that he wants you to take up and fight for. You. He designed you to fight that cause. Stop fighting him. Stop fighting him. He has something he wants you to do. Changes that you need to make in your life, but they're only going to come about if you're connected to him. Through his power, you can do all the things that we described. This is incredible. Five areas, five metaphors, five of the deepest needs that you have all answered right here. 
all answered right here in the church. Nowhere else in the world will you find those things. God designed the church to meet your deepest needs. There are some people, as we close here, there's some people here this morning, came for the first time, you've been here for maybe a couple weeks, whatever else, you belong here. You didn't go to church. You came to belong. You belong in God's family, connected to him, so you can accomplish all that he has for you. We want you here. We welcome you here. We need you here. We need what you have to offer. You are welcome, regardless of your background, regardless of what you look like, regardless of what you've done, regardless of your... doesn't matter. We want you here. You belong here. We want you a part of this family so you can accomplish all that God has for you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. And God, we pray with all of our hearts that you would please, Lord God, I pray with all of my heart that you would speak to each individual here. That some need to turn their lives around. And I'm not talking about people here for the first time. I'm talking about people who come for years. It's time. Use the mind that God has given you this morning. Outside of his family, you cannot become what he's created you to be. You will stand and you will walk in confusion the rest of your life. You have no idea who you are, what your identity is, what you were created and called to do, why you're here, what you were designed for, what your purpose is, what the meaning of life is. You'll find none of those answers outside of God's family. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. I love you. Start living for him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.